everyone. I'm Katherine Rudder, and this is Life in the Fast Chain. On this episode, we have Todd on to discuss recent news, and we have Kevin back on from the research team to talk about their recent blog posts and other good reads. Later on in the podcast, we have the team behind Marco Polo. Marco Polo is a trade finance platform built on blockchain technology, so it's really interesting. You guys don't want to miss it. I've restarted twice already, and Todd is going to be late for a meeting, so let's just jump into it. Hurry up, Catherine. <laughs> okay, Todd and I are here talking about recent things going on in the blockchain uh, world. So, Todd, let's first talk about the uh, Gartner survey. It was the CIO survey that revealed the scarcity of current blockchain deployments. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So this was released, I think maybe it was last week. Uh, And as is normally the case with a little bit longer research pieces, it got abstracted to, you know, dozens of websites with very uh, histrionic and sensational um, headlines around the fate of of blockchains in the enterprise. Uh, So a couple of things to point out. One, if you do have access to the reports, I encourage you to uh, get your hands on it and read it. It's it's, uh, well done uh, overall. It's a good guide for where we are today, um, roughly speaking. Uh, a few observations from me. One is, it, it's as it says, it's very focused on uh, a CIO survey. So it's a, it's more of a traditional, I guess, top-down look at how organizations are looking to potentially implement uh, blockchains within their enterprise. Um, now, we'll see how things play out. Uh, I think we focus a lot on both top-down and bottom-up, and you look across both so crypto and blockchain uh, efforts, the bottom up it should not be ignored, and and I think people maybe overestimate overestimate or ever emphasize the CIO uh, top down model. Uh, another observation they make was that uh, uh, financial services and insurance really the first to 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 get involved and to move forward on this, and and we have definitely seen that. That's where those are the initial industries that got. Uh, gotten involved, um, and that's where we were spending the bulk of our time really in, from 2014 to, to last year. Um, but what it, it kind of leaves out is how, and we've talked about this before, other segments um, are starting to get very heavily involved in, in the blockchain space, more of a, the corporate sphere, uh, small, small to medium-sized enterprises and also large corporates. Um, so you know, all of this, get past the headline, read the, read the report. Um, they they make some really good points that a lot of the hard work is in less so in the technology and more about maturing the business models and the operational and governance models. We spend a ton of time on that, so thumbs up there. I think their uh, their taxonomy for how they describe uh, certain aspects of sort of generic blockchain stacks um, and also the networks that it, and the choices of how you deploy it is. Okay, uh, you know I disagree with a few of those. Um, you know, one in particular, they talk a lot about sort of consortium deployments, and and you know they mentioned Corda a few times in this. Uh, they they put us in that consortium bucket, mm-hmm. which uh, I can understand. Um, but you know, more and more we're seeing a very widespread uh, building and adoption of Corda across different industries and also diff- also different models of deployments. Um, it's not just for financial services; it is a blockchain for business, and. And also, you know, maybe this is a preview. Uh, there are community projects out there going back to this deployment model uh, that are focusing on how can you have deployments that are that have networks or, um, I guess, operations that are that aren't 
traditionally centralized entities, but more from a decentralized perspective. So um, check out Cordite, which is uh, some, some folks in our quarter community are building um, to see maybe uh, there'll be some, some different deployments than, than I guess the CIO report from Gartner uh, would expect. Yeah, uh, I think you make a great point about the consortium uh, model. We've obviously kind of started from that and then have grown to so much more. And I think that's the industry is kind of growing all together in that way and obviously to different um, things like supply chains and all that stuff. Yeah, and so. I think, you know, the one, you know, to put a bow on it, you know, if, if you just read some of the headlines, you might get the message of it's okay, just sort of sit back and, and not get started. Mm-hmm. But if you actually read the reports, uh, they give some very tangible steps of how to get started. Um, and so that's one thing we urge everyone is is to get started in the in the way that's impactful for your organization because it takes it's different uh, it takes different shape um, in how you do get started. But sitting on the sidelines is not a really good option. Yes, educate yourself. <laughs> Listen yes, that's to this right. podcast. <laughs> okay, moving on. So uh, the next is a uh, blog post called "Doubts About Interoperable Smart Contracts" or the case for network effects in smart contract protocols. This is by Tony Shang. So, Todd, what does this say? So I thought this was a, this is a really cool uh, take on a topic that's come up a lot recently. And, and, and the, the blog post is around moats. Uh, so it's talking about, in this case, are there moats around um, sort of token economies or really app uh, platforms? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it takes the aspect of if there is token interoperability or maybe application interoperability, are those moats uh, really defensible? And it's it's a little bit less of a defensible business model. It's more about, this is kind of an interesting angle, defensible communities. Mm-hmm. So the reason I thought this was interesting was if you, if you look at what's happened over the last few weeks, there's been a bit of, I guess, navel-gazing or maybe some concern within the Ethereum community around uh, how defensible is that smart contract community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of that is brought uh, about by EOS uh, being soon to be launched and the amount of money and attention that, they, that they've raised. But this has already started. You've seen some early token efforts move from Ethereum to Stellar, and if it's as easy as just picking up your coins and going somewhere else, uh, what does that mean longer term from, for some of these projects? Um, yeah. And also it ties back to this topic of interoperability, which we, which we, which get brought up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And you know we're we're very very focused on how you have application interoperability across Corda. So that's something that we can control. And I think uh, Dave Rudder, our, our CEO at the Synchronized event a few weeks ago, kind of. Had a pretty pretty good quip that you know fabric. If you look at that, it's not even interoperable with itself. So there's there's challenges to to how you deploy these. Uh, and the last thing anyone wants are these standalone networks or these uh, these communities that are on an island. Um, mm-hmm. But how can you have that right balance where uh, the builders of these protocols are incentivized to to uh, put their time in to build these build these protocols and the community members can make the right choice so they're not sitting around at the Betamax party when everyone else is at VHS. Good comparison. Um, also, we have, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but Richard Gendelbrown has a great uh, blog post about interoperability. Um, so everyone should check that out if you haven't already. Next blog post, it's on Medium by Chris McCann. 
and it is called 12 graphs that show just how early the cryptocurrency market is. And I think this is so interesting because people compare this technology to uh, the start of the internet and credit cards and all that stuff. But he's actually put some research into it instead of just throwing it around like right. I do on a, on a <laughs> Friday night. Uh, wow, that's a fun Friday night. <laughs> I have a lot of fun with my friends. Uh, yeah, no, but it is really interesting. So uh, would you like to talk a little bit about that? One yeah, of my well, mainly uh, I like pictures, so it has a oh, lot of nice yeah. pictures in it. Uh, no wonder I liked it so <laughs> yes, much. Exactly. I didn't have to read as much as the last one. <laughs> I, it got pretty heavy. The Gartner one got me pretty got pretty heavy. Yeah. So, uh, so this piece, it's, you know, no comparisons are exact in, in any whenever you you overlay two graphs against each other it's it's more of just sort of a guesstimate um, but I think the interesting takeaway that the author had was it's probably if you want to if you want to look at the analogy we we're probably in 1994 in internet terms uh, which <laughs> if I look back so we we've been in this space you know for about five or so years and so I remember going to conferences in 2014 and 15. And people said, this is just like 1994 in the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe we were just three years too early. Um, yep. But it, it, can make, it makes sense when you look at some of the growth that, that he, he lined up. And I think the, you know, the final point on this piece is um, if, if folks think that the innovation here is with cryptocurrencies, um, then the internet's a, really a terrible analogy. Yeah. But if you think that the, the, the driver and the innovation here is uh, distributed applications – than the internet analogy and looking at the growth of the internet and websites and and all that can make a lot of sense. And so it's worth spending a little bit more time on that. Yeah, it was really interesting. Just all the research you obviously put into it. Um, I was sold. Uh, So it's pretty easy to sell me on things, though. Um, (laughs) The next is a CNBC article about how cryptocurrencies and blockchain are becoming a hot trend in the job market. And don't we know it? We work for an amazing startup uh, for blockchain, and and obviously we love it. But uh, it is very interesting because... Because it is a hot topic. Yes, it is a, a hot lot topic. Of people want to get involved, but some people I find don't really know how. If you're not a, a developer, um, I know. I mean, my job is marketing communications mm-hmm. and stuff. You wouldn't really think that um, there was a fit right away in the blockchain world, but obviously there is. Yeah, I think. I think. Well, you know, from a personal branding perspective, you know, much like you know, Long Island Ice Tea rebranded to Long Blockchain, people are rebranding <laughs> their LinkedIn <laughs> profiles blockchain yeah. thought leader. Um, and I, I, going back to, do you have to be focused on technical roles? Uh, there's obviously, there's a big demand for that. Yeah. Um, but it goes back to, you know, what Gartner was pointing out before. If you think about all the work that, that needs to be done on things like the go-to-market process, the adoption curve, how do we implement and run these uh, networks? How do we create net, network of networks? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we take this new technology and package it up and explain it to the right stakeholders or how do we uh, yeah. how do we t- how do we take what we know and actually hide it from the end user <laughs> so they don't even know there's a blockchain there there's there is a ton to do within sales and marketing and business development um, that uh, there's tons of great companies out there that that need that need uh, good people and we're seeing that I I, I came from uh, the uh, financial markets. I was in FX for about 15 years and I average about two and a half people a week that are coming to me and, and asking me questions around how to get into the space. So that that's going yeah. that's can, going to continue to happen. And as a quick plug, we do have 17 <laughs> jobs 
uh, open on our website. Two yep. of them will be on my team. So uh, please get get Ooh. your CVs in. Can I apply? <laughs> you would never let that happen. No comment. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so everyone make sure to look for that stuff and um, get involved. Uh, the last one, because you need to go to a meeting, would be crypto. I think I might be already late. <laughs> no, you're not. You have a few seconds. Crypto pioneers head to Brooklyn to reach a finance. <laughs> the building looks abandoned, but inside graffiti covered door. <laughs> so basically, this uh, this article is just about um, consensus and a few other companies going to Brooklyn. Um, also R3. And What? R3's in the article. Oh, I thought you were saying we were moving to Brooklyn. No. <laughs> yeah, so we're in the article as well. We're at the end, but we're not moving to Brooklyn. <laughs> not when all the subways are just to be about to be shut down. We can't do that. No, that's true. We can't. Uh, that may throw a wrench in their plan. But uh, it's it's cool because I, I understand that Brooklyn's an awesome place to be. Uh, it's great, but we're, we're staying put. Yeah, well, yes, we are. Um, I didn't know you were going to make a big announcement on the podcast uh, that we were moving to Bushwick, but uh, no, it was pretty. It was pretty funny. It was uh, it was a little bit of uh, sort of a Biggie and Tupac theme to that to that uh, to the article, uh, with uh, our own Charlie Cooper uh, playing the role of the heavy for representing uh, money earning uh, Manhattan. Um, so I don't know. I, I will full disclosure, even though in the article uh, Charlie talks about. Uh, New York City, Manhattan being where where it's at, mm-hmm. he is wearing a hoodie in the office today. So maybe That's a little bit true. of Brooklyn is rubbing off. Now it might be a designer hoodie, but last comment uh, for now: call the area Cryptolandia. That is a direct quote from uh, the article about Brooklyn. Is it okay if I don't? I'm not going to. No. Okay. That's fine. Brooklyn's fine with me. In the studio with Kevin Rudder. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Of course. So let's get started. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your recent public papers. So Kevin's on the research team. He's helped me a lot with the podcast and um, helping to guide me. So I appreciate that a lot. So let's give you the spotlight now. Great. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, we've had a bunch of papers uh, become public recently. Some of them are fairly timely. Uh, one that's particularly timely is the application and impact of European general data protection regulation on blockchains. I know oh, that a was words. a long... <laughs> yeah, I tried to say it pretty quickly. But it was written by Jana Moser, uh, and we just made it public recently, and we have an accompanying post written by Nipa Patel, a.k.a. the blockchain queen on Twitter. Uh, and I also helped chip in and, and write that that post. But I guess both, both the paper and, and the post are you know, trying to inform the blockchain community and shed some light on GDPR, which comes into effect uh, May 25th of so the, this soon. year. Yes, it's very soon. And I think, you know, at least I've seen on my social media platforms, there's all these notices and emails about how, yeah. uh, you know, different companies are changing their, their compliance for data privacy. And obviously, data privacy is a really hot topic right now uh, with, with everything going on with Facebook. Although I thought uh, Zuck did a pretty good job uh, on, on the panel, on the yeah. hearing in D.C. Definitely. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting time for data privacy. Um, I guess one of the main takeaways is that, you know, the public broadcast approach, you know, sharing all information with everyone, even if it's encrypted to some extent, uh, you know, some of those platforms, some of those ideas might have difficulty uh, with GDPR and data yeah. privacy in general. Uh, and, and the peer-to-peer approach that uh, platforms like Core to have, 
you know, you're just starting from a better baseline. You're not starting with sharing information broadly, even publicly with the world. You know, they're very targeted, and that type of approach is, is, is a better fit for enterprise uh, use cases in particular. Some of these retail ideas, you know, pe- I think sometimes retail customers might, or retail people, just general people, uh, maybe aren't as picky about uh, some of their data privacies. But when you start talking about companies, companies' customers, uh, that a lot of that information is, is private and, and people don't like having out there. Yeah, definitely. I think for from my perspective, uh, GDPR really affects like newsletters and stuff we send out uh, from R3, but I, ne- I don't really think about the other stuff because it's not my job. So I think this blog post is really interesting and it's a good read. Yeah, thanks. Um, you can get, I guess you can access it on, on the latest section of the web page. Yep. Um, but yeah, so interesting stuff going there. Moving along on some other papers that we made public recently, the myth of easy interoperability, uh, which I chipped in to help write. You know, I feel like there's this kind of sometimes people think uh, interoperability in the blockchain world is easier than, than, it, than it is. Totally. You know, if you're familiar with uh, you know, the back office of banks and how banks, you know, interact with each other and how new products are introduced uh, for banks, you know, interoperability, in a, like, I guess there's a lot of different ways to think about it, but interoperability, like, between platforms is, is very difficult. Uh, interoperability with existing uh, bank infrastructure is very difficult. Uh, there's not a simp- simple solution for this, and that's why you know, s- standard bodies and, and all these different initiatives exist to try to get everyone uh, on the same page with interoperability. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that paper's also been ma- made live uh, or public recently. Uh, then you also have our Chain That paper on commercial and specialty insurance paper that's been public recently. And then there's another paper on networks in trade finance, which was written by my colleague Martin Sim uh, in Singapore. Um, so, yeah, a bunch of, of interesting pieces have been made public recently. Definitely. Uh, and I guess while I guess I just mentioned trade finance, we might as well move towards uh, you know, the recent trade finance newsletter that we sent out. Uh, yep. And the main highlight there is Alyssa DiCaprio's paper, uh, Can Blockchain Make Trade Finance More Inclusive? Yeah. So uh, I guess I'll briefly touch on some main points there. Uh, you know, this is super smart, so there's, you know, a majority of the paper I don't even really understand, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I do what I can. That's uh, how I feel when I read things you've written. Really? Anyway, yeah. You're the first person to ever say that. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Uh, so I guess I, the point of this paper is, you know, trade finance gaps. So trade finance helps uh, fund international trade, obviously, uh, but there's certain areas of the, of the world and certain countries which are underserved by, by financing for trade. You know, I think the paper mentioned there's a one and a half trillion dollar trade finance gap, uh, and forty. And by gap, that's just you know in in area, I guess that's just unfunded uh, shipping and trades. And and forty percent of that global unmet demand for trade finance is pooled in Asia Pacific or Africa. Wow. Uh, so the paper tries to discuss some of the root problems and think about you know particular features of, of blockchain technology. Uh, built for the enterprise and how they can address uh, some of these problems. So I guess the three main problems that are discussed are low profitability, uh, compliance and KYC costs, and also uh, lack of information. Um, cool. So yeah, I don't want to spoil the paper, but it's it's very well written. It's hosted on the Capco uh, website, uh, so yep. please do um, check that out as well. Yeah, that is a good read. We've shared it on our social media, so um, everyone be sure to share that and, and let us know how you, 
how you like it. Um, also, you did. Uh, you recently have been doing university engagement, and I uh, am known by my friends to constantly heckle and harass my my school uh, to get involved, which they have not yet. <clears throat> Holy Cross. College of the Holy Cross. <laughs> Please. Maybe at them in this post if you post it on Twitter. I'm going to. Uh, I'm constantly, constantly trying to reach out to them. But can you talk a little bit about your u- university engagement and what you guys are doing there? Yeah, so we've seen a lot of interesting work w- with universities. You know, I think one of the, the big uh, things with, with the platform-based approach is that, you know, a lot of the success, of course, is probably going to be based on how, how many people are involved in the community, right? And yep. I, I personally think that galvanizing the university community, you know, will be very important uh, with the future of the platform. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's two main fronts that we've kind of se- we've seen university work. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot on the research side, constantly talking with university students, you know, on, on papers that they're working on. We've also co-written papers uh, with, with um, two students from the University of Delaware. We've worked with uh, Cambridge on a, on a consulting project on supply chain use cases. Currently working with MIT, a group from MIT on a market study uh, on, on core to ecosystem development, um, and there's been a couple other projects. So wow. there's that, which which is great. But a lot of this research, you know, the end goal here is to is to commercialize a lot of these ideas, right, and, and turn them into sustainable businesses. We've already seen two uh, kind of companies launch on Corda from, from two of the three projects I just mentioned. Awesome. led to companies. And that's the end goal, right? So, yeah. um, you know, galvanizing d- developers, galvanizing business school students, getting them to build on Corda, you know, the only blockchain that we, we feel is built from for business from the ground up, uh, you know, will, will probably be crucial for the success of the platform. And it's great to see uh, more and more students joining the community. Yeah, totally. Uh, let it be known that I asked Kevin to come on the podcast about five minutes before this, and uh, he was like, oh, yeah, maybe I can put something together. Uh, and you put up a stellar, stellar portion for the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone. Look at r3.com slash research for uh, a lot of our latest stuff. I am here with Dave Sutter from TradeIX, Jan Vromans, and Chris Sunderman from ING, and Sophie Holm from R3. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me. Uh, how about I let you guys introduce yourself before we dive in? Let's start with Dave. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, my name is Dave Sutter. I'm the head of platform strategy for TradeIX. Yeah, thank you. I'm Jan Vromans. Uh, I'm a relationship manager uh, in mid-corporate segment for ING, and uh, I'm connected to Marco Polo to validate uh, uh, the product with clients and uh, uh, yeah, look at uh, the added value of Marco Polo for our clients. Okay, thank you very much, Catherine. My name is uh, Chris Sunderman. I'm a blockchain initiative lead for trade finance services at ING and one of the leaders of uh, the Marco Polo project. And hello, my name is Sophie Holm. I'm a project lead uh, at R3's Incubator and Accelerator, specifically focused uh, on Marco Polo. Awesome. So you guys are here to talk, obviously, about Marco Polo. So let's start off uh, simply. So, Sophie, what is Marco Polo? Yeah, thanks. So Marco Polo is a trade finance industry initiative, which was kicked off in September 2017. It involves some of the larger financial institutions and um, technology firm TradeIX, 
who we have Dave here on the line, and R3. So the Marco Polo Initiative really envisions a universal solution to facilitate all trade finance services. So for the people who knows about Marco Polo or have heard us speak about it uh, previously, we talk about trade as a platform instead of today where you have the siloed solution offerings. In 2018, we have decided to focus on open account. So deploying an open, open trade finance platform, which is built on a global network powered by open APIs and Corda as a distributed ledger technology. And um, I think last year we ran what we refer to as an incubator project, which is a sh mm -hmm. short project uh, focused on a very limited scope. And we had uh, set out to prove kind of three areas. One, that there is a business, business case, so that there's business benefits to be gained. Mm -hmm. uh, two, that the technology solution is obviously feasible. So specifically proving that there's value in building out some of these trade-specific applications on a distributed ledger technology. And lastly, defining what is the minimum viable product and what we want to go to market with, providing the maximum gains for the ecosystem in the short term. So I think phase one was, it ended in December last year, and it was really critical from an explorative perspective, as it allowed us to be very creative with the business owners from approximately 20 financial institutions that participated in phase one. And one of the things which was uh, brought up a lot was the barrier around creating adoption. So we didn't want to build another destination application or a destination platform, which means that we're not selling Marco Polo as an application You need where well, you need to be onboarded to. Instead, you're using Marco Polo as a, a layer to build and allowing for connectivity through existing gateways to the ecosystem. Um, and last year, part of the explorative phase was building out uh, a concept that we call the Universal Trade Network, which was designed to combat some of the existing governance and trade-specific challenges that exist today. The UTN, Universal Trade Network, includes um, the trade finance-specific connectivities and standards that allow other business network operators to create uh, independent networks, but with inherent interoperability between them. And I think this is one of the key takeaways from the first phase. I also think that the first phase allowed us to realize that the major challenge is not really the technology. And I think TradeIX Trade has a very pragmatic approach to DLT by focusing on getting value to the market first. And then as we develop the technologies more, then more and more functionality will be built out using Corda and smart contracts. And I think the last thing to mention is that we're now in, in phase two, which is really around building out and deploying the MVP. So the focus for the next 10 months is to build out four orchestrations that were chosen and validated by the industry, which is receivables discounting, factoring, and then a risk mitigation solution with or without financing. So really a buyer or a bias bank payment commitment. And then the last thing is obviously developing the UTN concept. Amazing. Okay, guys, we can all go home. Sophie's answered all my questions. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that background, Sophie. What is unique about Marco Polo compared to other, actually, we didn't really touch on this, so this is good, to other initiatives in the trade finance market? Uh, Dave, let's start with you and then head over to the ING guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's uh, three main differentiators for Marco Polo as compared to 
the plethora of other trade finance initiatives out there. Uh, the first is that it's an open platform. Um, so this means that it's open to the entire ecosystem mm-hmm. as opposed to being a destination application um, where all participants need to come and transact on a single application owned by a single party. This is really an open platform in the same way that Android is an open platform that allows an entire ecosystem to uh, adopt it and exchange value and build and deploy their own solutions and applications on top of it. Mm-hmm. The second is that the... Uh, Wealth of expertise within this consortium, as represented by the banks, um, a few of our colleagues from ING on the call today, and all the other financial institutions involved, as well as the other technology providers involved, all have um, many, many years and in many cases, decades of experience in trade and trade finance, and having served as executives at some of the largest financial institutions, as well as built and scaled some of the largest existing uh, trade finance technology platforms out there. So I think that uh, expertise and that understanding of where the landmines are buried, so to speak, as well as what drives real value for the banks and their clients is something that's allowed us to design solutions that really do solve a problem as opposed to many of the other initiatives, which are hammers in search of nails. (laughs) Um, They're sort of starting. They're, they're starting with the blockchain and saying, what can we do with it? Whereas we started the other way around and said, here are the existing issues and obstacles within trade today. Yeah. <clears throat> how, how can we solve these? And then the last is the speed at which we've moved. A lot of these initiatives have been around for uh, a year, several years, even more. And Marco Polo within six months has built uh, a very robust piece of software and a very robust uh, global network. Um, and the, actual sophistication of the software is something that we have not seen anywhere else in the market. And it's going to be a major differentiator that allows banks to use their clients from day one and really get real transaction volumes and real revenues through the door. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Jan and Chris, do you have anything to add to that? Jan, you go ahead. Yeah, I go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, when I look uh, at it from a uh, client perspective, I think there are two uh, interesting things. And that's uh, the, the first one is uh, the transparency of, um, of Marco Polo. Uh, we see a lot of challenges and problems with our clients uh, who are not able to see when uh, yeah, if products are um, transported by their uh, uh, producers. And on the other hand, there is a lot of uh, yeah. There are a lot of problems to see if the payments is uh, the payments are really made to uh, uh, to their suppliers. So with Marco Polo, we try to uh, make this uh, transparent and offer them uh, um, yeah some some opportunities here. So that that that's one thing I, I see and which really creates value for our clients and which we also validated validated. And the second thing is. Uh, we can, uh, uh, yeah, we can offer them uh, secure payments, and that, uh, yeah, that's what I mentioned um, before. Uh, it makes them uh, possible to see if the payment is made and if it, uh, the products are, are sent to, uh, yeah, the, to the to the sellers and buyers. So it's important for them to track and trace this. And with Marco Polo, we can offer this opportunity. So it really uh, differs from what we see now in the market. Chris, anything to add? Yeah, of course. Thank you very much, Jan. Uh, well explained. Um, what I can add to that is that the Marco Polo uh, project is uh, unique in its sense because it's also looking, or mainly, it is looking at the open account trade finance uh, industry, and uh, more or less, this industry has been neglected by banks because 
the involvement of banks is uh, rather limited and only uh, limited to the uh, to the settlement of the transaction in general. Of course, we have a, the, the big, the big uh, WCS, the Working Capital Solutions uh, area, where huge amounts are being uh, settled. But in fact, the involvement of banks is uh, rather limited. And what we do now is um, we more or less draw this huge volumes into the trade finance area by adding value as banks to our clients' uh, uh, turnover to our clients' uh, transactions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that is a a major step forward in uh, reducing risk worldwide. But like Jan also said, we are able uh, with Marco Polo to uh, open the world for them and make the trade finance world, the trade finance industry, um, transparent and less scattered as it is now organized. So we are... Breaking down the silos that are um, really annoying for all <laughs> participants in the trade in the trade finance uh, industry, and I think Marco Polo is the gateway to um, to a strong innovation in in global transaction. You're you guys are obviously a part of um, of Marco Polo, uh, Sophie. Who else is involved in this initiative? Yeah, so um, I think financial institutions have really been the driving force behind Marco Polo, or not? I think they have. And I think what's been really great around that is that the consortium of banks really creates that center of gravity to pull the rest of the ecosystem Uh together. Because phase one, we had 21 financial institutions. That's that's quite a lot of of power behind one initiative. So today, Marco Polo also includes other ecosystem providers, such as logistics companies. And we're working very closely with ERP providers um, for trade asset origination and also working on ways to monetize on their global footprint. Um, and I think there are other ecosystem providers that we're exploring potential collaboration with, such as trade credit insurance, et cetera. Um, and that's a really critical aspect to the next phase and something that we, together with the financial institutions, are working closely on. Awesome. So what would a follow-up question to that? What would be the objectives of the initiatives and, and the benefits for members to join Marco Polo? So I think one critical point that I forgot to mention is obviously the corporates. So we're working with the ERP providers for some of the mid-markets and small corporates, but it's the global corporates, the really large ones. We're working directly with them through uh, the financial institutions as well. Um, So to touch upon your question, objective and benefits for the different ecosystem players depend a little bit on, on who what ecosystem uh, provider we're talking about. But I think generally we can say that everybody is looking for better ways to conduct global trade. And Marco Polo provides a new ability to offer solutions to working capital and risk mitigation throughout the supply chain to corporates. And for many of the large players in the ecosystem, the real driver is really around finding ways to decrease inefficiencies, as Chris touched upon, um, that exist today in the market. And also through that, then lowering the operational cost. And I think worth noting also when we talk about the different ecosystem providers and, and different players is that a big chunk of the work that we're doing right now is building out and helping the ecosystem players understand new business models as initiatives like Marco Polo kind of change the dyma- dynamics and the ways in which people conduct trade. And that has an impact far beyond the financial institutions, like the work we're doing with ERP providers or logistics companies or trade credit insurers today. Mm-hmm. So... Let's. Sorry, Chris. Were you going to add anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like to add something because, um, well, during during the development and the the, the workshops we had, uh, we also speak to our clients, and Jan can confirm that. 
And the, the clients are really enthusiastic about uh, what's happening uh, in the world of innovation. So we share a lot of the information we are developing without getting into detail on the technology. But um, what we hear from them is that they really uh, um, uh, are happy with the, the way the, the banking industry is evolving. And uh, what, we, what we also see is that... Um, Getting them, getting those corporates involved in the development of Marco Polo, in the further development of Marco Polo, makes our solution better, and it's and it is a, of essential. Uh, it's, it's also essential and vital for the success of Marco Polo um, when we uh, really connect with them on for, on the next step. So the validation on a on a tem- on a regular basis on what we are doing is really uh, required to to make the product as, or the solution as as good as we want it to be. Mm-hmm. And that will also that will also uh, fasten the uh, the onboarding of of uh, clients and corporates onto uh, onto Marco Polo and in the end the Universal Trade Network. But they're really they're really enthusiastic. enthusiastic. That's what I get back from the presentations I do uh, uh, well around Europe to uh, to uh, to talk to clients about what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, that that, that that's correct, and uh, they have the same challenge be- uh, as the banks, of course. Because they're in the, many of our clients are also the middlemen, and their role is changing quite fast. So they're really curious about what we are doing and how we can create value for them, and, and the other way around. So um, yeah, we had some uh, really valuable uh, meetings, and uh, yeah, we are, we are curious uh, ourselves to con- continue in that as well in the next uh, in the next uh, step of the process. Great. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the technology behind Marco Polo. Dave, if you'd like to jump in. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two primary components to what's being developed for Marco Polo. The first is what I'd call the platform side. Mm-hmm. And this is the software that allows uh, business users, both banks and corporates, to streamline and automate their trade finance processes. There's a few different layers to this platform, and it is a true open platform, like I said, similar to Android, where others can build and deploy their own applications. Mm -hmm. Uh, Banks can build, corporates can build and deploy. Um, These layers are, first and foremost, the application layer. So these are the actual screens and and software that users see and feel and touch. Um, And in the first phase, we're focused on open account, as we said, receivables, finance, uh, factoring, and payment commitments, uh, risk mitigation solutions. Below that <clears throat> application layer is an entire suite of trade-specific APIs and developer tools. And these are focused on allowing better connectivity between um, the different participants and our tools that allow uh, developers and other participants to build their own solutions. So it's sort of like a toolbox that allows others to build and customize things with ease and connect to existing solutions. Then we have a rules engine. And the rules engine allows all the participants to automate all of the business logic, all of the workflow, and all the rules associated with multi-party trade finance transactions. And this helps take a lot of the cost and friction out of what are today typically very manual processes. Um, And lastly, the other major component is the core infrastructure. And this is what's built on Corda. And this is what allows all the different trade finance participants, banks, buyers, suppliers, value-added service providers to connect and exchange trade data and trade assets securely and in real time uh, to and from anywhere in the world. So this is something we'd like to call the Internet of Trade. 
It's a, a common standard protocol that allows for the secure transmission of this data. And on this network is where the platform runs. So we have all these platforms and all the platforms connect um, by the network. Great. So, so what has uh, been achieved so far? Um, but also, kind of, I guess, more importantly, do you guys have any milestones coming up for Marco Polo? Let's talk about the technical stuff uh, with Dave, and then head into business aspects with Jan and Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what's been achieved so far is we completed a proof of concept with uh, twenty financial institutions. That was a real proof point, as Sophie mentioned earlier. And since then, we've done a ton of development work to actually get the system to where um, it's robust enough to start putting in front of clients to start testing with uh, the, the bank participant and bank members. Um, in terms of actual significant milestones coming up, the next real significant milestone is to begin uh, conducting the customer pilots. Um, so we have some more development work to ensure that it is a real production-grade scalable software system. And then the next step is to go ahead and deploy that with the banks and have them start beginning running transactions with their with their corporate clients. Uh, shall I take the uh, the milestones for for the bank's perspective? Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, Dave already touched upon it, but um, let's before we before we get into the pilots, we really need, really need to be sure that we are able to define the requirements that are necessary for our clients to well to understand the uh, Marco Polo and to use it for which it's for which it's meant to be used yeah. and to and to, and to uh, well to convince them that this is that, that Marco Polo is in, in fact the, the solution to make their life uh, much easier and uh, is is a tool for them to broaden their uh, their suppliers network but also their buyers network and they become uh, say part of the uh, the large ecosystem uh, even from a global perspective uh, so these requirements are really important and we will well we will uh, take care of uh, defining those properly and and like um, Dave already said the the, the, the pilots are um, are essential to check whether what we have defined and, and designed is, uh, is 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 working, and uh, our clients are agree in agreement with us that this is uh, working for their for them as well. So um, involvement from clients' perspective is important in the pilots, and we need to find the right parties to to work with and make these pilots successful. And that's that. I think the pilots like the proof of concept in December. The pilots are real milestones uh, to check whether we are on the right track. Yeah, definitely. So, what are any challenges that you guys have faced? And also, conversely, um, you've kind of touched on the success that you've um, seen uh, in the past from Marco Polo. But if you'd like to talk a little bit about that um, from our ING guys. We, we need to validate with our clients and we have to ask them whether we're on the right track. And my proposal would be in the, in the coming phase when we have defined the, uh, required, the, the, the orchestrations with the banks that we uh, go in, in, the, in uh, and meet our clients and, and pro well, propose them what we, have, what, we feel is the, what we feel is the right uh, orchestration for Marco Polo. And check with them whether we whether we are correct and involve them in in say amendments or uh, additions to those orchestrations, 
or even change if, if required, and uh, maybe ask them to join us in that uh, journey to develop Marco Polo any further. And we have we have some companies that are, that are really keen to uh, to work with us on this project, and really big ones who have uh, who also have an advantage in the application of Marco Polo and especially the Universal Trade Network, which would help them uh, forward as well. So I think my proposal would be uh, if and when we have defined the orchestrations, involve clients or corporates and uh, ask them for uh, for uh, comments and feedback. Yeah. So um, yeah. Also from my perspective, um, look uh, first first looked at the successes. I think we have done some great jobs with our clients. They were very enthusiastic within the uh, validation phase, the first validation phase. We had some nice meetings with uh, important and valuable feedback. So, um, and um, yeah, they were very enthusiastic about the product itself. So that really was a success. Uh, we're also thinking about uh, how we can, can join them with the POC. So we're uh, thinking about uh, creating, a, for example, a hackathon in which they can um, look at the POC, but also uh, different POCs uh, and also give uh, yeah, valuable feedback for, uh, for, for the, the next phase of our product. So that would, could be a nice milestone as well. Uh, I agree with I agree with Chris. If we look at the challenges, that we uh, had a great uh, validation phase, but from that point we moved back to our offices and created uh, the next phases within uh, uh, Marco Polo. Uh, we had some uh, weekly meetings about uh, yeah developments there, which were great, and I think it's also a success that we work in this team because uh, I learn a lot of it, and it's really valuable to work with you. But um, if we look at the connection with the clients, um, we have to look how we can connect them better because uh, the last validation phase is uh, was in, in October, November. And from that point on, uh, it was quite quiet if we look at our communication uh, to our clients. So um, the, uh, the challenge could be that they don't see the value anymore in the next phase. So we uh, should work on that. For example, involve them in a, a webcast or something to update them where we stand, and um, yeah, that would be very important uh, for the next phase of Marco Polo. Yeah, well, at least you've kind of recognized that challenge, and that's the first step. So I'm I'm very confident that you'll be able to, to accomplish that. Um, thank you so much, everyone. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to touch on before I let you guys go? Uh, no, thank you, thank you, Catherine. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very enthusiastic about this podcast, and uh, I really appreciate this kind of, this kind of communication. So, happy to uh, do this, let that do this in a later stage, and um, I'm looking forward to the workshop in London uh, in early May. So. Thank you so much, guys. I, I think, um, I mean, this is great for just getting more word out about uh, Marco Polo. I know you guys have a, a great website, marcopolo.finance. Sophie, Dave, any, any last words, Jan? <laughs> This was um, this was fun, Caddy. Be careful; we might come back every week. Oh my goodness, I would love to. I actually think it's amazing that I have all of you guys on the line at once, considering where everyone is. Dave is in Singapore. You guys, I'm assuming the ING guys. You're are you in Amsterdam? Rotterdam. I'm at, I'm in I'm Rotterdam. Rot- amazing. And then Sophie in London. Um, I'm so grateful that you guys all were able to come on at the same time. And that's a wrap. Be sure to like and share on all your social platforms.